So good to be with you. We are going to continue this morning in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Uh, kids, I want to show you something as we begin this morning. So uh, kids, if you're sixth grade or under, I would like you to please uh, hop up and come up front quickly. I want to show you something that's in this box, okay? So come on and make your way up. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a few different options to think about what's in this box, and I want to see what your response is. I want to see how you react when I tell you what may or may not be in this box. So the first thing that might be in this box as you gather and come up front is there might be a poisonous snake. Come on up front. There might be a poisonous snake in this box. Now, if there were a poisonous snake and I was about to open it, how, how would you react? Anybody, if I'm going to open this, there's a poisonous snake here. What do you think? You're not, they're not playing along. I need you to play along or this isn't going to work. If I told you there was a poisonous snake in here and I was going to open it in front of you, how would you react? Let me see. Okay. All right. Now, what if I told you there was a little baby kitten inside? Oh, yeah, you're going to reach out your hands, right? You, some of these girls up front want to grab it. All right. Now, what if I told you that I had gone into the gutter and scraped out mud from the bottom of the gutter, and I was about to do this? How would you react? You're going to scoot out of the way, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. What about if I said it was full of beautiful, fresh-picked flowers? Anybody? Anybody interested? Come up front if you want the flowers. All right, yep, some of you are coming up close. All right, now, what if I told you that there was a snack in here? I was going to open it up, and you could all munch on Brussels sprouts for the rest of the service. Yay! Anybody? Anybody want the Brussels sprouts? Yeah? Not too much. All right. What would you do if I told you this, this box was full of lollipops? And I was going to let all of you take a lollipop, and if you had any siblings that were still back in their seat, that you could come up and get a lollipop for them too. How would you react? Would you, here's the box, what are you going to do? I'm about to open it. Anybody coming up? Anybody coming up? Okay, all right, all right. So here's the thing. Some of the dangerous bad things, what did you do? You pulled away, right? You, you what, what we say, you, sh- you shrinked back. But if it's something like lollipops, then what are you going to do? You're going to draw near, right, and come get a lollipop. So help yourself, grab a lollipop quickly and quietly and head back to your seat. Feel free to take one for a teenage brother or a shy sister that did not come up front. Listen, I knew they were going to do this. Don't worry about the flavor. They're all good. Just grab one. You may not look at the flavor. Grab one quickly and head back to your seat. Every single flavor is delicious, I promise. Just grab one quickly and head back. Goodness gracious. So listen... What I'm trying to help us understand this morning is that there are some things in life that we are going to shrink back from, right? Kids, when I told you there was a poisonous snake or Brussels sprouts in there, you went like this, right? You sort of take a step back, you shrink back, you don't want that, right? But when I said there could be a a kitten or or lollipops or flowers in there, your instinct is to draw near, right? Your instinct was to move closer to it. And most things in life are going to cause one of those two reactions, right? Either we're going to do this, and you shrink back. It means you pull away. You don't want anything to do with it. Or there are things that we're going to draw close to, right? Our instinct is to pull in. We want it. We want the lollipops. We want to hold the kitten. 
right? And this morning in, we're, in our Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to begin in, in verse 19. You can go ahead and, and flip open there. We're going to see those two reactions, page 1007 on those blue hardback Bibles, where some are going to see Christ become aware of the truth of the gospel, and they're going to draw near and press in, while others are going to see Christ and hear the truth of the gospel, and you know what they're going to do? They're going to act like he's something harmful that they don't want, and they're going to shrink back and pull away. You can see in the outline in your bulletin this morning, or if you were following along on the back of the coloring page, we're going to look at three different key concepts this morning. We're going to see this morning in our passage about confidence, about judgment, and about endurance. You guys just think because you're the pastor's family, you get to keep the entire box of lollipops? Sybil, you can't be trusted. Put that back up on the front row. Put it back up on the front row. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. Father in heaven, please bless the reading of your word. Give us grace. Give us eyes to see you and ears to hear you. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? And has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession, an abiding one. Therefore, listen up, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Amen? 
Amen. This passage calls us to draw near, to draw near and to hold firm. We read in the beginning section about confidence. It says, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, since we have boldness and assurance to enter the holy sanctuary of God, right, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, because of his shed sins, we have a new and living way, it says in verse 20, a new and living way to go past the curtain. Now, this is not talking about the curtain in the tabernacle, but a curtain in heaven. Kids, the picture that you're coloring this morning is of a tent. That's the tabernacle we've been reading about in the book of Hebrews that goes all the way back to the Old Testament when Israel would gather at this tent that you're coloring, would gather there to worship God. But you see there on the front, there's a curtain. Do you see where the people are carrying the Ark of the Covenant through the opening of the curtain? Now that curtain, most people in, in God's nation couldn't go through the curtain. Only the priests. And once you got into that outer curtain, there was a second curtain that even fewer people, only one guy once a year could go past the curtain into the Holy of Holies. And the whole point of the tabernacle was that God was sort of set off and restricted and you couldn't go through the curtain to meet with God. But this passage says that now through Christ the curtain has been opened. What is the curtain? What does it say there? The curtain is the body of Jesus. That as his body was broken and torn open, you could say, on the cross, now that curtain opening up into God's presence is made away for us. No longer set off, no longer entering God's presence trembling, but now, what does it say? We can enter with confidence. And so the call this morning, first and foremost, is to trust in Christ, to put faith in Christ that through him you can know God. Through him you can enter into God's presence. Through him you can go past the curtain and not have to stand outside of the tent, but you can go in to know God, to sit with God, to walk in love with God, and to have eternal life, to have eternal life. See, through the work of Christ, we have access to God. You have been forgiven If he's your savior, you've been accepted and cleansed and loved. And so verse 21 says, brothers and sisters, therefore, since we have a great high priest, since we have a high priest that has opened the way up for us to God, let us, and then it's going to give us three practical applications, three exhortations. In light of the work of Christ, in light of the fact that we can enter with confidence, we have three exhortations. By the way, side note, how do you know that the author of Hebrews likes salad? Anybody? Because he's always talking about lettuce. Okay. So verse 22, lettuce. Let us draw near, it says, right, with full assurance of of faith. That's the first exhortation. You can throw that up there, kids. You can fill that in on your outline. The first point of section one is that we're called to draw near, draw near with a true heart. Why? Because our hearts have been sprinkled and cleansed from our evil, sinful conscience. Our bodies have been washed, it says, in the waters of baptism. And so we draw near through the love of God in the work of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what does this mean? To draw near it means that every day we live looking to God in prayer. We live relying on his word to feed us. We live growing in faith every day. We live confident that we belong to God and so we can draw near with full assurance of faith. Right? I don't know about you, but this reminds me of our theme verse from Hebrews. Right, Hebrews 4.16, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. This throne where our victorious Savior Jesus is seated. Let us draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we draw near, but secondly, verse 23 calls us to hold firm. Let us hold firm to the confession of our faith. To hold on tightly to the hope that you have confessed in Christ, not to waver 
Because God has promised that he'll give you eternal life. And if God has promised it, it's going to happen because he's faithful. And so we can be confident, not because we're always holding firmly, but because Christ is always holding firmly to us. And so that means we confess faith in Christ as Savior, and we hold firm to that confession. No matter what you face in life, and some of you have and some of you will, face suffering through the brokenness of this world. Some of you will find other people, family and friends that undermine your faith. Some of you will have to suffer persecution or you'll wrestle with doubt or you'll wrestle with others that are attacking the gospel or personal attacks by the enemy. Hold firmly on to Christ. We saw this theme in chapter 6. Remember in Hebrews chapter 6, we talked about Jesus as our anchor. It says that we have fled for refuge and we might have strong encouragement to hold fast, hold firm to the hope set before us. And it says this, we have a a sure and steady anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone. He is a firm and steady anchor, a sure anchor for our soul. And so we can draw near, we can hold firm. And thirdly, look at verse 24 and 25, calls us to stir up. Let us stir up one another to love and good works. Listen. A life of love and good works should characterize the Christian life, okay? So you think about a waffle with all those little, those little spots, those little nook and crannies. When I was a kid, I had a cousin, and when we would see them and we had waffles, he would take the syrup and he would drop one drop into every little nook on the waffle, okay? It was super annoying because I wanted the syrup. Not about you. When I get the syrup for my waffle, I just do this, right? Just squirt it all over. And you cut that waffle, kids, and you pick a bite, and the syrup is dripping off of there, dripping down your chin. It's a big mess, right? As Christians, love and good works should not be meticulously dropped into the corner. Man, we should, our lives should be drenched, dripping with gooey, sticky, sweet love and good works, dripping off generously, overflowing from our hearts and from our lives to friends and neighbors, to those in need, those who don't know the Lord. Covered as we stir one another up to love and good works. But again, we can't fully live this on our own. We need one another to stir us, to stir us to love, to provoke us and to spur one another on for good works. And so it says we're called to not neglect. Don't neglect meeting together as some people apparently in this context have gotten in the bad habit of doing. No, we must regularly meet together. Why? We meet together for worship, to hear the word, to encourage one another, to, to have fellowship, to pray together, to study, to, to do acts of service, to reach out to our friends and neighbors, right? And we learned during the pandemic that if we neglect meeting together, we'll miss it. We'll long for it. It's harder to live out our faith. And how many of us return to the church refreshed and encouraged to be in the presence of one another, to stir one another up? Amen. That happens on Sunday morning. That happens in your life groups. I hope and pray it happens throughout the week. Man, Mike and Liz Wagner recently invited us over to their home, and they built a beautiful new house out in the country, pulled up this beautiful sunset, and they showed us this home that they were so grateful for and, 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 and thankful that the Lord had provided, and they, and they designed and built every nook and cranny of that house, and we sat with them, we rejoiced with them, we heard their testimony Heard their testimony about their upbringing, about how they met. They started dating when they were freshmen in high school. Three beautiful daughters. You know, I left there just feeling stirred, encouraged, thankful 
encouraged by the testimony of their lives and how I am now blessed and encouraged. We stir one another up. We provoke one another up to love and good deeds. We cannot neglect meeting together on Sundays and in, on every day. And so it goes on in verse 25 to say, don't neglect meeting together, but instead encourage one another, build one another up. And what does it say there? All the more as you see the day approaching. What is the day? That's the day of Christ's return. There is a day coming when Christ will will return. As you see that day approaching, stir up one another all the more. See, our lives in Christ should be filled with love for one another, generously giving to those in need, graciously serving our neighbors, and regularly worshiping and fellowshipping together. See, if we have confidence in the work of Christ, that means we'll draw near and hold firm. It means we'll stir up one another to a life of faith and obedience. But if we do not, if we do not, verse 26 has some hard words for us, and we're going to look at this because the Bible teaches here in 26 to 31 about judgment. Verse 26 says that if we deliberately, that means if you willfully keep on sinning, even after you've received a knowledge of the gospel, even after you've received a knowledge of the gospel, see Hebrews is here addressing not those outside the church, but people in the church, those that have seemed to have received the truth but their hearts were never transformed. They never had genuine faith. And so verse 26 will continue and say, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Because listen, if you reject Christ as your sacrifice, then you're on your own. You no longer have a sacrifice for sins. See, what was going on in in the context of, of, of Hebrews is that some of these Jewish Christians were returning to the temple sacrifices. They, were, they had heard about Christ, they seemed to trust, but then they returned and went back to, to Judaism and the sacrifices at the temple. And the author says, those sacrifices are ineffective, you no longer have a sacrifice for sin. And so 27 says that all that remains for those that have turned their back on Christ is a terrifying expectation of God's judgment. The fury of fire that will consume God's enemies. Now that may sound harsh, but if you reject the Son of God, this is is what we face. Verses 28 and 29 go on to remind us, look, in the Old Testament, those that turned their back on the law of Moses would face a penalty of death without mercy. And so the author says, how much worse will punishment be for someone who has essentially trampled on the Son of, of God? Isn't it just for God to punish someone? Listen to how it's described here in 28 and 29. They've This person has disrespected the blood of the new covenant. They've insulted the spirit of grace, right? They've trampled the Son of God, the very realities that were supposed to have sanctified them. Now again, let me be clear. This is not talking about a Christian that's stumbled, that's had a hard week, that's made sinful choices, right? Because that would describe me, right? I don't know about you, but I fall short and I fail, and I I don't live up to the, the standard of obedience that God has called for me. That's not who this passage is describing, this passage is describing the Christian that has said, I kind of thought Jesus was up here, but now you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take him down from his exalted place. I'm going to put him on the ground. I'm going to turn my back on him, and I'm going to trample on the Son of God and reject grace, reject the love of God. And a man or woman, a boy or girl that does that, We'll face judgment, and so we're called here, as you see, the next point in your outline, don't reject the Son of God. Don't reject the Son of God. We know in his word he said in verse 30, vengeance is mine, I will repay those who are hostile against me. The Lord will judge his people. 
And there's an element of fear that's being stirred up in this passage, right? The, the word fear comes up twice. Some of you feel that. Now, look, here's the thing. We're good evangelical Christians, right? Like, this stuff makes us uncomfortable. We'd rather put this to the side, right? Like, look at you people. You showed up at church today wearing jeans, right, carrying coffee. Some of you are wearing sweatpants, right? Like, we just want to have a good time and be casual. We got contemporary worship music. We reject legalism. We don't want the fire and brimstone preaching. We don't want to live our lives in fear, We don't want to pressure our sons and daughters or our neighbors to come to Christ out of fear. We want to exalt the love of God, amen? We want to highlight the blessings of God's grace, the rewards of eternal life. We want to highlight the positive motivation to come to faith in Christ, not the negative motivation of punishment. And yet we see here in the Word of God, our authority... God's divine revelation to us, we see here that God's judgment is real and the fear of punishment is a very real motivation because the Bible says that those who reject the Son of God will face a terrifying expectation of judgment. Friends and family, listen to what verse 31 says. It says that it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We'll all be in the hands of the living God one day at our death. We'll all face him. It's just a matter of whether you will fall and face punishment or whether you will willingly run and receive love and grace and forgiveness and eternal life. So don't reject the Son of God. Draw near. Hold firm. And to do so, we see thirdly this morning, to do so, we're going to need endurance. Let's look at verses 32 to 39. Verse 32 calls these Hebrew Christians, says, think back. Think back to when you first accepted Jesus. After you were rescued from darkness and enlightened to the truth of Christ, it says in 32 that you faced hardships and struggles. You suffered for your faith. But what happened to these Christians? They endured. And he's going to go on to describe the situation of these first century Jewish Christians. It says some of them were publicly shamed. They were insulted and afflicted publicly. Some of them didn't face that kind of direct persecution, but they stood next to other Christians. They stood by other Christians who were persecuted. Some of these early Christians were put into prison, and these Hebrew Christians went and had compassion on them. They showed mercy to their brothers and sisters in prison. Some of them had their property seized, their livelihoods stolen, their inheritance taken, their possessions confiscated. Now, this is past tense what happened to these these early first century Jewish Christians. But even today, listen, even today... In the continent of Africa, in the Middle East, in in places in Asia, this is still happening to brothers and sisters that name Jesus Savior. But what do we see, the example of these Hebrew Christians? Look at verse 34. They joyfully accepted these harsh realities. Why? Because they knew they had a better possession than anything this life could offer them. They knew they had a lasting home in heaven. And so when they were arrested, when their property was taken, when their livelihoods were confiscated, you know what? It pressed them all the more to have faith in Christ and the coming kingdom and their eternal home in heaven. And so verse 35 says, Therefore, therefore, if God has already carried you through so much, don't throw away your confidence now. Right? Your confidence in Christ has a great reward. And you think to yourself, it seems unimaginable. Like if they made it through that early period of coming to Christ, of facing rejection, being persecuted, and now they're growing, but all of a sudden now they're at risk of throwing it all away. How could they do that? 
Same reason you and I come to Christ and we have zeal and excitement and passion and then years later it fades and we stumble and the world begins to appeal and, and the author says to us and the, and the Lord God says this morning, don't throw it all away. We need to press on. We need to continue. And to do so, we're going to need endurance. Verse 36 says you're going to need great endurance. Endurance means this. It means that when you face hardship, you're persistent. It means that when, when you face obstacles, you, you, you ask the Lord for stamina. When you feel weak, you cry out to the Spirit for grace. When you want to give up, you say, God, give me perseverance. See, persistence and stamina and strength and perseverance, that's what endurance means. And so verse 36 says that we will, we will remain faithful and live out the will of God through his endurance, and then we'll receive the promised eternal inheritance because one day, and you say, it feels so long, but what does 37 says? It's just a little while. Verse 37 says, in a little while, the coming one will come. He will not delay. Friends, listen, Jesus is coming. The coming one will come. And, and the author is quoting here from Habakkuk 2, 3, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Write that down. I didn't put it on the slide. But listen to the prophet Habakkuk. And here the author of Hebrews quotes it to us Christians. says, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. Listen, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. We're called to live by faith because the coming one will come. And when it seems slow, and I know that there are days that feel like they'll never end. There are seasons of life that feel like they will never wrap up. It may seem like the world is winning and Christ will never come. But if it seems slow, wait for it. He will surely come. And the righteous, verse 38 says, will live by faith. Let's not shrink back. Let's not recoil away from the Lord because then the Lord has no pleasure in us. But to be a man or woman of endurance, you can fill in on your outline this morning, don't shrink back. Have faith. Don't shrink back from the Lord. No matter what you may face, no matter how long it may seem, he's not an enemy. He's a joy. He's a gift. He's something we draw near to. And I was thinking this morning that there, there's two reasons that cause people to shrink back from Christ. And one is that people have a too high a view of themselves and they shrink back and reject Christ. Why? Because if you think too highly of yourself, you don't need a God. You don't need forgiveness. You don't need eternal life. You can seek and find pleasure yourself in this world. You can seek through your own ambition, your own hard work, through the pleasures of this world. You can find all that you need to have. That's a too high a view of yourself. And so you shrink back from God. Others have too low a view of themselves. And the same result, they shrink back as well. Why? Because they don't think they deserve love. They don't think they're worthy of God's grace. They don't think that they, they of all people, couldn't be welcomed as a son or daughter of God. And so they as well shrink back of God. Too, too high a view of yourself, too low a view of yourself causes you to shrink back. But who are the ones that draw near? The ones that draw near to the Lord are the ones that have a right view of God. See, the answer to too high a view of yourself or too low a view of yourself is to have a right view of God. And that means to have faith, to trust him, to follow him, to put faith in the Lord. And so I ask you this morning, are you going to be one who shrinks back or are you going to be one who stands in faith and preserves your soul? Listen again to Hebrews 10.39. It's on the screen at the bottom there, and I'm going to ask you to read it with me in a moment. It says, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith 
and preserve their souls. Will you read that scripture with me out loud and declare that to the Lord this morning? Let's read it together. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Friends, listen, draw near. Draw near to the God of grace. Draw near to his love and hold firm. Hold firm to him just as he is holding firm to you.